Thank you guys so much for leading us in worship this morning. Rick, thank you guys and for your pastoral leadership for us this morning. Nathan, thank you for making that video, brother, to kind of introduce this sermon series. And um, so my name is Chad Gilbert. I, I am so excited to be here. Let me just say that first off, that um, coming in as pastor at First Baptist New Orleans and the, the day before you're supposed to preach your first sermon to get a call from Teresa Bovier to say that, four, you know, three members of your family have COVID, um, was not the plan. Um, but kind of like the song we just sang, um, God is so good. And he was so good to us during that time. And so we are so excited to now finally be here in person and to be able to worship together. So I've had a couple of weeks to think about it. Now, I've not been the most clear-minded over these last two weeks, I'll be honest with you. And they call it the COVID fog or whatever. But as I've, as I've thought more and more about where I felt like the Lord was leading us to, to begin this journey, together, um, I'm, I'm convinced that really looking at what these, the, the, what, what this is going to represent as kind of a core strength series is so important because the vision for us, First Baptist New Orleans, is to be a biblically thriving church, to be a biblically thriving church. And the reason for that is because as we are biblically thriving, we will grow in all the right ways, the ways that God has intended for the body of Christ to grow, both in reaching new people with the gospel, but also of growing deep in our love for God and in our love for one another. And so as we're a biblically thriving church, that's how we're going to be our best and, and have the greatest impact in New Orleans and all nations. So what does it take, though, to be healthy? Um, if you're like me, sometimes the New Year represents a time of, of some New Year's resolutions and of, I'm going to get fit this year, I'm going to start eating better, you know, those kind of things. Um, if you came into 2021 like me carrying the COVID-19 around your waist, um, you know, it's one of those times where you're like, man, I've got to get back into it, you know, and all these kind of things. But any fitness coach that you were to would go to and to say, hey, can, can you give me some guidance on what it's going to take for me to be healthy and to get my body kind of fit? He's going to say, well, what, what you really need to focus in on is on your core. And what he's talking about is this muscle group that's kind of all around here, your back and, and your abdominal kind of area, and, and just how important it is. Because if you start doing, you know, shoulder press and you've got a weak back, you're going to kick that back back and injure yourself. And then you're out of the game. You can't do shoulder press, squats, anything to get stronger because your core was weak. And so that's why I'm calling this our core strength series is because these are core convictions for what it means for us to be a biblically thriving church. And so you just saw the video, but I want to go through it real fast because I think it's important for you to see where we're headed. Um, and these kind of build sequentially, at least for me, there's a little bit of a sequence to them in that they build on one another. So the first uh, core conviction that we must have, and that's how I'm going to be framing things, is we, we must be. It's not optional. We don't have the liberty based on Scripture to do something else or to, or to focus in some other way. These are what the Scriptures demand of us. They're, the, they're what they tell us is an imperative. And so the first um, core strength that we've got to have to be a biblically thriving church is to be Scripture-fed. We must be 
scripture fed to be a biblically thriving church. And the reason I put that first rather than any of the other convictions is it's because only as we are scripture fed that we are going to know what it what a servant really looks like or that we are supposed to be servant led, which is the second core conviction. Um, then it's only through the scriptures that we know the importance of what it means to be filled with the spirit and what it was that the early church was doing when they were filled with the Spirit. And, and it's only through the Scriptures that we know who Christ is and that everything is to be focused on Christ so that we are Christ-centered, which is the fourth conviction. And it's only through the Scriptures that as we are led by servant leaders and are filled with God's Spirit and are focused on Christ and, and are a Christ-centered congregation that we glorify God, which is the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so it's important for us to see that this all starts in Scripture, that apart from the Word, we don't know the direction that we're to go. We don't know what biblical health is apart from the Bible. And some of this is intuitive, it's, it's logical, but at the same time, we can become so misguided and get away from the Word. And so we, as God's people, must be Scripture fed. And so what we're going to see today here in this passage is in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I invite you to turn there, is the importance of why we are to be Scripture fed. Um, if you were to go over to Whole Foods today um, and go back to the meat department, you're going to see kind of like this full narration on your meat Okay, it's going to tell you all the things, you know, maybe even where the, the cow lived before it was slaughtered and then made available for you for hamburgers tonight. Um, but one of the descriptions that's become very common in describing meat is what it ate. And so very common is grass-fed, um, nitrate-free, hormone-free, you know, all of these descriptions. And the reason for that is not just marketing, even though it is clever marketing and it kind of grabs some people that are conscious of what they're putting into their body, but it's, it's descriptive because science, through science, we've learned that what the animal eats is going to go in us. And so if, if, if the cow is, is full of growth hormones, then I'm going to be ingesting growth hormones, and that might not be really good for me. Um, and so when it talks about what the cow is eating, when it says grass-fed, that's telling us something about what's in the meat so that then as the meat gets in me, that I'm healthy. Well, it applies in the same way to Scripture. You see, right now, for a lot of us in this room, we're eating something, but if the description were kind of slapped on us, a label, it would be Facebook fed. It would be Netflix fed. It would be ESPN fed. We all eat. We all take in content. But what is primary in our intake will have an overall significant impact on our health, on our overall worldview, on our overall focus. And here's the thing, what you and I are eating, what we are taking in mostly to inform how we see the world, to, to inform what we say is the problem and the solution, uh, what, what we are taking in that is telling us the answers to the primary questions for humanity is what's coming out in the workplace. It, it's what's coming out in our Facebook post. It, it's what's coming out in our family gatherings. It's coming out. And unfortunately, right now, given the state of the overall church, especially here in the West, of the rift 
of the division, of the gossip, of the slander, of the hatred, it suggests that we have not been eating the right thing. We have not been taking in the word of God. We are not united on this primary ground of being scripture fed. So for us as a local congregation, but then globally, because what's Goose, what good, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's true within the church. It's not just for us. It's for all believers everywhere to be scripture fed. And so I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And the reason I invite you to stand is because we are honoring by even our presence of standing that it is God who speaks. It's God who speaks to us through his word. And so hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse one of chapter three in 2 Timothy. But know this, hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a, a form of godliness, but denying its power, Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here are two key verses this morning. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this passage of Scripture that makes so clear the need for your word. And so today, would you remind us through your word and would you settle in our heart beyond all things that we are to be people of the book, that we are to be people of your word. We are to savor it. We are to honor it. We are to live in accordance with it. We are to proclaim it. And we are to love it. So, Father, today, captivate us through your word. For you deserve all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Today in this text, we will see that we must be Scripture-fed because, number one, and there's going to be three points here that move through this passage. First, Scripture is given from God. Second, Scripture is good for us. And third, Scripture is good for others. Scripture is given from God. Scripture is good for us. And Scripture is good for others. So number one, Scripture is given from God. See it in the text. Verse 16, for all Scripture is inspired by God. Now let's work our way through these words. First of all, all Scripture. Another translation might be each and every passage. In other words, it is not accurate to think that some portions of the Bible are reliable while others are suspect. Now, I want to acknowledge, because there's probably someone saying right now, but Chad, what about those portions of the Bible that have a footnote saying, for example, from the end of the Gospel of Mark, that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. You can turn to your Bible and probably see a line across the page with that little note. So what gives? Shouldn't such notions weaken our confidence in the reliability of the Bible? Now, that's a great question. It's a thoughtful question. And so if you're here asking, and it may be asked before about this question of the reliability of the Bible, that is good. And we should be asking thoughtful questions like that. But here's what you need to know. There's no other ancient document more attested than the Bible. We have thousands of manuscripts, some dating all the way back to the beginning of the second century. Now think of manuscripts as evidence. In a trial, if you are seeking justice, you hope for an abundance of evidence. When it comes to the Bible, the evidence is in and what you hold in your hands today can be trusted as the authoritative, reliable, good word of God. There are no passages such as the end of the Gospel of Mark or John chapter 7 that, that if they ultimately prove to be unoriginal to the text would impact any major Christian doctrine. The Gospel is true. The Scriptures are authoritative. Jesus is Lord. All Scripture is inspired. The Greek word here is theopneustos. This is a word that Paul seems to have coined in order to communicate a significant idea about the nature of Scripture. 
Now, it's a compound word in which one part means God and the other part means breathed. And so he brings them together that the scriptures are God-breathed. Now, what Paul is not communicating is the means of scripture. In other words, it would not be accurate in some mystical way to envision Paul in a jail cell laying down a piece of parchment in front of him, and then suddenly the wind picking up in the cell and words just kind of beginning to emerge on the paper. That would be a mystical understanding of how the Bible came to be God-breathed. What Paul is communicating is that Scripture comes from God. It's God who is the one speaking. Just as if you could be close enough to me without a mask, and, and, and I was talking right in your face, you could feel the breath coming off of me. So it is that the scriptures are God-breathed. Over the last two years, I served at a church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a church called Trinity Baptist Church, and I had the joy of serving under a pastor, a senior pastor named Steve James. And I watched as Pastor Steve at different times when people would come to him and say, People are saying, and then they would issue some complaint. Or I'm hearing people, you know, some people are, are coming to me and letting me know and, and all those kind of things. Anytime that people would do that, Pastor Steve had an excellent way of stopping them and very gently but very firmly saying, who is saying? Who is talking? Because Pastor Steve knew that often people would often boil down to one person. And sometimes that one person was the one person who always had something to say about almost everything. But in other times, the who changed greatly the way that he thought about an issue because the who always matters. God is the who of the Bible. It is God who speaks from every passage of Scripture. It is God who is concerned with us. It is God who teaches by His Word. It is God who rebukes by His Word. It is God who corrects by His Word. It is God who trains in righteousness by His Word. One of the lies told today and embraced about the Bible is that Scripture is nothing more than man's attempt at explaining God. Have you ever heard that explanation of what the Bible is? It was men, after all, who wrote the Bible. Now, proponents of this skeptical view of the Bible seemingly suggest that we're part of the southern rim of the Grand Canyon to collapse today, revealing layers of earth that have never been excavated, never been tampered with, that are millions of years old and all of these things, and that they are in the oldest layer of earth that can be extracted. We found a tablet, and on the tablet were these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That all of a sudden, well, then everyone would believe. It would be obvious Every geologist, every, every, every scientist would say, well, if it was in the earth well before any other layers of earth where there was any existence of anything, including people, well, then it must have been God. But I think we all know better than that. The person who rejects the Bible because man wrote it is the same person in this example who would reject a stone that God himself wrote 100 million years ago. It's that same person 
that if God spoke from heaven audibly, they would say, I only hear thunder. At the end of the day, that God is the source of Scripture through the means of men is consistent with Scripture itself. That is the way that God is consistently communicated with man. That God is the source of Scripture through the means of men is a compliment to men. That God in his grace would use men in such a profound way. And that God is the source of Scripture through the means of men shows the control and power of God over mankind. And here's the good news of that, that if God could control exactly what was written through men, then that same powerful God in his grace is able to bring about conformity to his word in men and women and boys and girls. All people, regardless of educational attainment, economic status, family of origin, ethnicity, race, language, or any other distinction, God is able to bring about conformity to his word because his word is his word. It's okay, please hear me. And if you're at home today, please hear me. It's okay to have questions without relinquishing belief. You see, I believe the sun is a ball of fire at the center of our solar system. I have questions about the sun itself, about the internal composition of the sun, like what's in the middle of it. I have questions about solar flares. I have questions about how long is the sun going to last? I mean, is it going to burn out one day? But no one in this room would affirm me if I said, I've got these questions about the sun, so I don't believe in the sun anymore. None of you are going to say, that's a good way to think. Because that doesn't make any sense. Just because I have questions about the sun and how the sun works And maybe there's some things that I will never understand because I don't know how we know anything about the sun given that we can't get within a million miles of it without being incinerated. So I'm like, how do we know anything about the sun other than it's huge and hot? And just because I can't answer every question about the Bible doesn't mean that I say, well, I don't believe in the Bible anymore. And I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe anything about the Bible because I didn't understand this one part. You see, I've seen too many friends have genuine questions about the inspiration and the reliability of the Bible only to allow those unanswered questions to result in rejecting the entire Bible. And in some cases, to reject Christianity. Such conclusions are unnecessary. They're not required by careful logic. So if you have questions then you are truly human. And it is to humans that God, in his love for humans, gave the scriptures. Don't miss that. This was given in love. The scriptures are from God. Second, we see that scripture is good for us. Scripture is good for us. See it in the text. All scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. Now, just as Scripture is inspired, it is profitable. Some might say, and I agree, that it's because it's inspired that it's profitable. 
But Paul here is making a double-pronged point at this moment. He, he's, he's getting at the source of Scripture and the purpose of Scripture. Inspired and profitable. Now, the word translated profitable could also be translated useful, beneficial, or advantageous. In his 2012 book entitled The Advantage, author and speaker Patrick Lencioni subtitled his book, why organizational health trumps everything else in business. Now, Lencioni goes on to argue that many organizations minimize the value of organizational health, seeing it as a distraction from achieving their goals. But the data, however, suggests that organizational health becomes a superhighway for achieving outstanding results and exceeding goals. So why do so many organizations, especially churches, resist organizational health? Well, my answer to that question comes directly from the text. I want you to look at it again. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. In short, the reason that we resist health is because of what it takes to be healthy. You see, if I tell you right now physically what it takes to be healthy, it's easy, right? Eat healthy and exercise. We all know that. It's very simplistic. It's very clear. Eat healthy and exercise. Now go, do it. But how many of us, as soon as we get home, we face this incredible temptation uniquely to New Orleans. It's called a king cake. And we all know, we just all resolved in our hearts, this is gonna be a better year. We're gonna lose the COVID-19. And then there's king cake. And then there's the battles over which is the best king cake. We all know it's Manny Randazzo's. <laughs> okay, never mind. But what we see in the scriptures is that in the very breath that Paul says, scriptures are from God and good for you. They are beneficial. It's an advantage to cling to the word. All of a sudden what unfolds as he says what it's good for, in other words, the road to health includes being taught. Now, most of us in this room are not gonna push back on that one. Most people today, especially here in the West, enjoy learning. They, they want to learn something. They're okay with being taught something. But notice the other three things that he said. It's good also for rebuking. Anybody up for a good rebuke today? I, I don't know many people that are like, man, I love being rebuked. You know, like it's one of my favorite things. It's good for correcting. I don't know many adults that enjoy correction, nor children. And then for training in righteousness. Not many people love to train. Even though those that do physically know that, man, this, this is good for me. At the beginning, I didn't like it. But now that I'm doing this training regimen, it's actually feeling really, really good. And can I just say that it's very much the same way in the Bible. That at the beginning, you're going to question it. At the beginning, you're going to kind of push back and say, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm enjoying this. But the reality for us is that we've all known someone or have been someone who was not teachable, who was not able to be rebuked, who was not able to be corrected, who did not want training. And what did you call that person or what could you have been called in that moment? Well, I can think of two words, arrogant and prideful, arrogant and prideful. And it is pride that is at the root of why we reject the goodness of the Bible and of the scriptures. 
You see, it's nothing other than human pride that causes us to resist the profitability, the advantage, the usefulness, the benefit of Scripture. We need, First Baptist New Orleans, we all need the humility of Christ. We need the humility of Christ in all things. We need the humility of Christ if we would be rightly taught the Scriptures, their meaning, their application, their nuance and precision. We need the humility of Christ if we would open our hearts to being rebuked by the Word of God, protecting us from traveling down the road of destruction. We need the humility of Christ if we would open our minds to correction, not only in what we hold to be true, but in how we think and why we consider some things and never think of others and why some things seem self-evident while others do not. We need the humility of Christ if we would commit ourselves to a lifelong training in righteousness that we might pursue justice justly, that we might pursue righteousness rightly, that we might pursue love lovingly, that we would pursue peace peacefully, that we would pursue faith faithfully. Without the humility of Christ, we will cast this truth to the side, always wanting the Scriptures to be more helpful, more beneficial, more of an advantage than we consider them to be, not realizing our pride has blinded us. There's no coincidence that Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, identifies the most distinguishing mark of a truly great leader as this, humility. It is humility that sets apart the most successful leaders today, and it is humility that will set apart the most Christ-exalting, biblically thriving congregations. Humility. First Baptist, we must humble ourselves and embrace God's Word. You see, I want to share an honest part of my own story, because I think a lot of people think that pastors uniquely just have this, this burning love for God and a ready embrace of the Scriptures. But that is not the case. And the reason I know that is because that was the case for me. You see, when I began pastoring at the age of 27, I did not have a strong love for God. Now, I didn't know that. I was the last one to know. Often you are, right? And weaker than my love for God was my love for the Word. And if truth be told, I really only readied myself for sermons and allowed that to be my time in God's Word. My devotional life was almost non-existent. I was in a very dangerous place. And for three years, for three years, I pastored a church that way with a, a very cool love for God and a very cold love for his word. But then, through his word, as a small group was meeting in my home, and one of the members of the team looked over at another guy, wasn't even looking at me, in an application of God's word about godly marriages, looked at the brother and said, what are you doing to make sure that your wife has daily time in God's word, that she has the space and the time to do that? Because at the time we had young children and, and time was, at a, was, was just this incredible precious commodity that seemed so rare. 
And he was asking the question to someone else, probably assuming, like most people do, that certainly the pastor is in a good place. But God struck my heart with that question. And I realized that I wasn't doing anything to really make space and time for Cole to spend time in God's Word because I wasn't spending time in God's Word. And what started the very next morning can only be called revival because we knew Christ. We had been saved by His grace. There was no doubt about His indwelling Spirit within us. But what happened over those subsequent years was revival of our souls that came from his word. And it came just from reading his word. Just from reading it. Just from reading it. And it was as we would read it and show up humbly wanting to hear from God that God would speak, that God would nourish us, that God began to strengthen our marriage, that God gave me a, a confidence in the pulpit that I didn't have before because of my insecurities. All of a sudden, I had a confidence in his word and in the power of his word to transform lives because I was being transformed. I was being changed by the goodness of his word. And so I tell you today as one who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good in his word. So taste and see. If you're here today, I have no doubt that there is someone right now that needs that encouragement that the word of the Lord is good. You may be at home today and sitting there and are questioning, is it really that good? I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge any person who right now is wondering, is there anything to this that I'm saying to try it for the next 30 days? You say, just, just 30 days? Yeah, I wanna challenge you to read one verse of scripture each day for the next 30 days. Now, if you're already in the habit of reading God's word, I'm not, that's, this is not a challenge to you. This is to you who was like me as a pastor who was not in the habit of being God's word. I wanna challenge you, encourage you, push you to read God's word, opening it to read at least one verse a day. Now, here's what I think, honestly. I'm just gonna show my hand. I think that if you turn open your Bible and read one verse, there's a good chance you're gonna read two. And if you read two, you might read three, Rick. You know, so it just kind of keeps going that way. But by challenging you to one verse a day, I think you're more likely to open your Bible and read it. And here's where I want you to start. I want you to start in the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and it immediately makes clear some incredible truths about God's love for us and what he has done in Jesus Christ. And in a few weeks after this sermon series, I'm gonna begin a sermon series going through the book of Ephesians. And so you'll be reading ahead. You'll be preparing your own heart for that sermon series that we'll be going through together. But I wanna challenge you in that way to humbly show up in this way, just saying, God, I need you. Please speak to me today. God, I need you. Please speak to me today. And then just open his word and begin to read. Now, if you're already in the habit of being in God's word, I wanna commend you and to say, continue to grow, but be sure that there is not within you kind of that heart of the Pharisees that grew cold toward God, even while mastering the content of the scriptures. Instead, be sure that there's a humility in you that still says, God, I need you. Would you please speak to me today? And that unites us in humility as a congregation. 
So we see that Scripture is from God. We see that Scripture is good for us. And then thirdly, we see that Scripture is good for others. I want you to see it in the text, the final words, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. Now, it doesn't specify what the good work is. It says every good work. That Scripture is able to bring us to a place of completion equipped by God. It's a passive tense verb, equipped by God for every good work. When Cole and I married, we gave gifts to one another. I gave her a Bible that had her new married name on it, Cole Gilbert, and she gave me a watch. Now, I'd never really had a watch before other than maybe just kind of the the cheap kind of, you know, uh, throwaway kind that if you lose it, no big deal. This was a nice watch. It was it was shiny and kind of heavy and all those things. I was like, wow, this is something that I can wear on special occasions. And so I put it away and I took it with me on our honeymoon. And one night we dressed up to go out to a nice dinner. And so as we're leaving the hotel, we step onto the elevator. And as we step on, another gentleman steps on. And he says, can I trouble you for the time? And so I look down at my watch. I've got a new watch, Rick. So I'm, oh yeah. You know, so I look at it. And little do I realize that this watch, I guess I had not studied it very carefully, it only had little slivers of metal at 12, 3, 6, and 9. And there was nothing else, just little pieces of metal that didn't even, weren't even labeled with numbers. I just knew that that's where those numbers were. And then to make matters worse, we had traveled and we're in a different time zone. So I'm looking at this watch for what seems like an eternity. The man is just standing there looking at me. Cole is questioning her life choices in a mate. Um, and I'm sitting there just trying to do simple math, which might as well have been quantum physics, you know, in the elevator. And I'm just like, I don't know what time. So finally, I just guess after what seems like an eternity. And I was wrong. I was off by like an hour, you know. And so it, it was one of those embarrassing moments where here I am. I'm equipped with a watch that does tell time. It was doing its job, but I didn't know how to read it. Every one of us have one of these. Some are nice, some are entry level, some are digital, some are on iPads, some are on phones. We've got it. We don't know how to read it. That's the importance of Bible study. It's being trained in how to study the word of God. That's the importance of, of gathering together to be trained in the word by teachers and by pastors. That's the importance of that because there is a world that is wanting to know about the times. It's wanting to understand some things and it's gonna question the moment that you say, well, the Bible says immediately there's gonna be a, a defense, but that does not negate the truth that if you know the word, you are able to deliver. And here's the, the most significant message that you can deliver to a world. And here it is, it's right here in the text. From all of the scriptures, verse 15, and you know that from infancy, you've known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul is making clear as 
is that in wisdom, the scriptures lead us to a place of realizing that our greatest need, that the greatest need of all people is Jesus Christ. That's the power of the scriptures. And as we look at a city that's facing this huge foreclosure rate in crisis, is what is most needed to meet a mortgage? To that person, the answer is yes. But from where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He will not let your foot slip. There are people right now whose foot is slipping and they are not able to lean in to God like we sang this morning. And you know what? Sometimes people do lose houses. Sometimes people have made poor financial decisions. They've overextended themselves. Sometimes it's circumstances that they couldn't control like COVID-19 to result in financial need. But it is one thing to go through those moments just trying to figure it out, to make sense of it, to have a worldly wisdom, to get yourself out of a bind. And it is another thing to fall on your knees and to cry out to the living God and then to witness his provision. That's what Paul is getting at at the end of Philippians. That he, he knows what it is to, to be well-fed and to go hungry. He, he understands these things because he has known the riches of Christ. So therefore, he's satisfied. He's content. He has what is needed. And so to a hurting city, to a hurting world, we have in possession the time. The time is Christ. We know that now is the moment of salvation. We are the ones that know that in all things, in all circumstances, that we are able to turn to Christ. So whether it's it's racism, whether it's politics, whether it's pandemics, whatever the crisis is that we are facing and we are looking to address in reasonable and meaningful ways, we look to Christ and we look to Christ in his word. We must be scripture fed. We cannot compromise on that foundational principle. And so we will be striving as a church to come up with innovative ways to cultivate a culture here in this body that permeates and leaks out into our city of what it looks like to be scripture fed, of what it means to be people of the word, and for that to have a meaningful impact on the issues that we are addressing in our city and in our nation and among the nations. And we will do it all as we lift up Christ because the scriptures, every one of them, point to him. You might be here today. You might be sitting at home in this moment. And this is the first time that maybe some of this has all come together for you to realize that what all of this points to is ultimately Jesus Christ. You see, it's no coincidence that in the sermons that we read in the book of Acts, that what we see is Stephen in Acts chapter 7 chronicling through the entire Old Testament leading up to Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, all of the scriptures point to Jesus. He is what we most need. That is what is good for others. The, the full canon points to him. 
And so therefore, if we would be scripture fed, then we will be Christ exalting. And so I encourage you, get in the word. Make it your goal to begin reading the word. Take that one verse a day challenge for the next 30 days, reading the book of Ephesians, if you're not in the word right now. And I issue that to every student in this room, every teenager, every child that can read. Or children, if you can't read, ask mom or dad to do it with you, to read to you God's word. Let us all be people of his word. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, in these next few moments of response, I wanna encourage you that this won't make any sense and by itself, it can't save you. Reading the Bible doesn't save you, but the scriptures can make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's That's what we just read. So the point of this is to bring you to Jesus. And so if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, there's gonna be a few moments of prayer where a few few ministers and myself will be here. We would love to begin a conversation with you, explaining to you the gospel in order that you would know Christ Jesus and have hope in him as we do. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray in these moments together that this would be a time where each one of us come back to this core reality. And maybe for many in this room, it's a time to to just drive down a little bit deeper, coming back to to this truth that your word is good and it is good for us and it's good for others. The world pushes back on that and tells us to leave it at home and to make it just a, a, a private matter. But Lord, your word says otherwise. So help us, Lord, to realize that your word is good for us and it is good for others, both within the body of Christ and beyond. And Father, your word is so good because what it ultimately leads us to is in wisdom, realizing we need salvation. So in this moment, Lord, I pray for the person at home. Father, I pray for the person in this room that has never trusted Christ for salvation. That they would acknowledge their need for a savior. They would confess that they are sinful and in need of forgiveness. And they would trust Jesus and his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection as the only way to be saved. If that's you today, while every eye is closed and heads are bowed around this room and people are praying, I want you to know they're praying for you. They're praying that you will respond to the gospel this morning. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to come up in this very moment. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to introduce you in in some embarrassing way, but we do want to know you. So if that's you, would you just come up for a moment? I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. thank you for your word and I pray that this morning we would leave from this place Father people of your word being scripture fed as a congregation and Lord remaining so that we might be a biblically thriving church that brings glory to you our Father in Christ's name I pray Amen